Many of you have asked for it, and so I spent some of my paternity leave creating it, an introductory stoicism course. The best part? I've launched it using Gumroad's pay-what-you-want model. So if you want to pay $0, you can get the course for free. That's right, free. Learn more and enroll in the course by going to understandingstoicism.com. That's understandingstoicism.com. I have used a lot of commerce platforms in the past. By far, the most robust is Shopify. No matter how complex your business needs and no matter how large your business grows, Shopify can handle it. And they do handle it for brands like Rothy's, Ruggable, Allbirds, Knox, Magnolia, Brooklinen, Glossier, and Cotton, to name a few. You may already use another e-commerce platform, and you may be super unhappy with it, but you've already put a lot of work into it, and migrating to Shopify could seem impossible. But I'm here to tell you that it is quite easy. When I migrated to Shopify back in 2022, their apps and tools meant I just had to make a few clicks and everything was ported over as if by magic. Shopify also lets you design your storefront however you like, which, from personal experience, I know isn't the case for many other commerce platforms out there. All these features and all this control can result in more sales more often. So stop leaving sales on the table, switch your business to Shopify today, and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their businesses. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial at shopify.com forward slash practical, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com forward slash practical, shopify.com forward slash practical. Good morning, Prakaptan. Hope you are well. Today we will be reading through Seneca's 73rd letter entitled On Philosophers and Kings. Before we do so, please, if you haven't already, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you're an Apple listener, you'll likely already know how to do this. But if you're a Spotify listener, reviews are somewhat new and you can only do them on the mobile app. Either way, I hope if you can, you will review the show. Also, don't forget to get your questions in for the next mailbag episode, which we do every Friday. You can submit them in the Discord community in the mailbag channel. If you haven't joined the Discord community, link in the show notes. It's free to do. We hope you will. Now let's jump into Seneca's 73rd letter entitled, again, On Philosophers and Kings. It seems to me erroneous to believe that those who have loyally dedicated themselves to philosophy are stubborn and rebellious scorners of magistrates or kings or of those who control the administration of public affairs. For, on the contrary, no class of man is so popular with the philosopher as the ruler is, and rightly so, because rulers bestow upon no men a greater privilege than upon those who are allowed to enjoy peace and leisure. Hence, those who are greatly profited, as regards their purpose of right living, by the security of the state, must needs cherish as a father the author of this good, much more so, at any rate, than those restless persons who are always in the public eye, who owe much to the ruler, but also expect much from him, and are never so generously loaded with favors that their cravings, which only grow by being supplied, are thoroughly satisfied. And yet he whose thoughts are of benefits to come has forgotten the benefits received, 
And there is no greater evil in covetousness than its ingratitude. Besides, no man in public life thinks of the many whom he has outstripped himself. He thinks rather of those by whom he is outstripped. And these men find it less pleasing to see many behind them than annoying to see anyone ahead of them. That is the trouble with every sort of ambition. It does not look back. Nor is it ambition alone that is fickle, but also every sort of craving, because it always begins where it ought to end. But the other man, upright and pure, who has left the Senate and the bar and all affairs of state, that he may retire to nobler affairs, cherishes those who have made it possible for him to do this in security. He is the only person who returns spontaneous thanks to them, the only person who owes them a great debt without their knowledge, just as a man honors and reveres his teachers, by whose aid he has found release from his early wanderings, so the sage honors these men also, under whose guardianship he can put his good theories into practice. But you may answer, other men too are protected by a king's personal power. And that is perfectly true. But just as, out of a number of persons who have profited by the same stretch of calm weather, a man deems that his debt to Neptune is greater if his cargo during that voyage has been more extensive and valuable, and just as the vow is paid with more of a will by the merchant than by the passenger, and just as, from among the merchants themselves, heartier thanks are uttered by the dealer in spices, purple fabrics, and objects worth their weight in gold, than by him who has gathered cheap merchandise that will be nothing but ballast for his ship. Similarly, the benefits of this peace, which extends to all, are more deeply appreciated by those who make good use of it. For there are many of our toga-clad citizens to whom peace brings more trouble than war. For there are many of our toga-clad citizens to whom peace brings more trouble than war. Or do those, think you, owe as much as we do for the peace they enjoy, who spend it in drunkenness, or in lust, or in other vices which it were worth even a war to interrupt? No, not unless you think that the wise man is so unfair as to believe that as an individual he owes nothing in return for the advantages which he enjoys with all the rest. I owe a great debt to the sun and to the moon, and yet they do not rise for me alone. I am personally beholden to the seasons and to the God who controls them, although in no respect have they been apportioned for my benefit alone." The foolish greed of mortals makes a distinction between possession and ownership, and believes that it has ownership in nothing in which the general public has a share. But our philosopher considers nothing more truly his own than that which he shares in partnership with all mankind. For these things would not be common property, as indeed they are, unless every individual had his quota. Even a joint interest based upon the slightest share makes one a partner. Again, the great and true goods are not divided into such a manner that each has but a slight interest. They belong in their entirety to each individual. At a distribution of grain, men receive only the amount that has been promised to each person, the banquet and the meat dole, or all else that a man can carry away with him, are divided into parts. These goods, however, are indivisible. I mean peace and liberty, 
and they belong in their entirety to all men just as much as they belong to each individual. Therefore, the philosopher thinks of each person who makes it possible for him to use and enjoy these things, of the person who exempts him when the state's dire need summons to arms, to sentry duty, to the defense of the walls, and to the manifold exactions of war, and he gives thanks to the helmsmen of his state. This is what philosophy teaches most of all, honorably to avow the debt of benefits received, and honorably to pay them. Sometimes, however, the acknowledgement itself constitutes payment. Our philosopher will therefore acknowledge that he owes a large debt to the ruler who makes it possible, by his management and foresight, for him to enjoy such rich leisure, control of his own time, and a tranquility uninterrupted by public employments. Quote, Shepherd, a god this leisure gave to me, for he shall be my god eternally. End quote. And even such leisure as that of our poet owes a great debt to its author, though its greatest boon is this, quote, As thou canst see, he let me turn my cattle out to feed, and play what fancy pleased on rustic reed. End quote. How highly are we to value this leisure of the philosopher, which is spent among the gods, and makes us ourselves gods? Yes, that is what I mean, Lucilius, and I invite you to heaven by a shortcut. Sextius used to say that Jupiter had no more power than the good man. Of course, Jupiter has more gifts which he can offer to mankind, but when you are choosing between two good men, the richer is not necessarily the better, any more than, in the case of two pilots of equal skill in managing the tiller, you would call him the better whose ship was larger and more imposing. In what respect is Jupiter superior to our good man? His goodness lasts longer, surely, but the wise man does not set a lower value upon himself just because his virtues are limited by a briefer lifespan. Or take two wise men. He who has died at a greater age is not happier than he whose virtue has been limited to a few years. Similarly, a god has no advantage over a wise man in point of happiness, even though he has such an advantage in point of years. That virtue is not greater, which lasts longer. Jupiter, of course, possesses all things, but he has surely given over the possession of them to others. The only use of them which belongs to him is this. He is the cause of their use to all men. The wise man surveys and scorns all the possessions of others as calmly as does Jupiter, and regards himself with the greater esteem because, while Jupiter cannot make use of them, he, the wise man, does not wish to do so. Let us therefore believe Sextius when he shows us the path of perfect beauty and cries, quote, This is the way to the stars. This is the way, by observing thrift, self-restraint, and courage. The gods are not disdainful or envious. They open the door to you. They lend a hand as you climb. Do you marvel that man goes to the gods? God comes to men. Nay, he comes nearer. He comes into men. No mind that has not God is good. Divine seeds are scattered throughout our mortal bodies. If a good husbandman receives them, they spring up in the likeness of their source and of a parity with those from which they came. 
If, however, the husbandman be bad, like a barren or marshy soil, he kills the seeds and causes tares to grow up instead of wheat. Now there is a lot to unpack in this one, and some of it is awkward because of Seneca's relationship with Nero. So we're going to take one stanza, I guess we'll say here at a time, and in order. We won't go through all of them, but we'll go through a number of them. So here we go. It seems to me erroneous to believe that those who have loyally dedicated themselves to philosophy are stubborn and rebellious, scorners of magistrates or kings, or of those who control the administration of public affairs. For, on the contrary, no class of man is so popular with the philosopher as the ruler is. And rightly so, because rulers bestow upon no men a greater privilege than upon those who are allowed to enjoy peace and leisure. So Seneca is saying that philosophers enjoy a particularly special kind of peace and leisure, and that this leisure is provided by the ruler. We could argue a little bit about this, but within the context of the Roman Empire, if there was peace, it was the direct result of the ability of the emperor to create peace by keeping people fed, healthy, and out of war. And yes, of course, there would have been countless others involved in creating such a peace, but as the saying goes, the buck stops with the leader, and so to the leader go particularly the spoils and credits. Hence, those who are greatly profited as regards their purpose of right living by the security of the state must needs cherish as a father the author of this good, much more so, at any rate, than those restless persons who are always in the public eye, who owe much to the ruler but also expect much from him, and are never so generously loaded with favors that their cravings, which grow by being supplied, are thoroughly satisfied. And yet he whose thoughts are of benefits to come has forgotten the benefits received, and there is no greater evil and covetousness than its ingratitude. If the king, or emperor, or what have you, is responsible for the philosopher's ability to spend his or her time lounging about philosophizing all day, then the philosopher owes them a debt. But here's the thing. Many of us, philosophers or not, don't take the time to recognize what we have and instead only see the things we don't yet have and want. The ruler is at fault for their failings more than they are celebrated for their successes, and the ungrateful beneficiary always wants more. And this doesn't seem to have changed much in thousands of years. Besides, no man in public life thinks of the many whom he has outstripped himself. He thinks rather of those by whom he is outstripped. And these men find it less pleasing to see many behind them than annoying to see anyone ahead of them. That is the trouble with every sort of ambition. It does not look back. Nor is it ambition alone that is fickle, but also every sort of craving, because it always begins where it ought to end. We, be we philosophers or otherwise, are so often found to be lamenting what we don't yet have, or what has been taken from us, and we look to blame those who we feel are the people who owe us. However, we never consider the fact that we, ourselves, have been taking things from others. Our good fortune may very well come at the cost of someone else's. 
We, for example, can lounge about playing video games or doing philosophy because someone else is cutting our grass for us or cleaning our pool, if we're lucky enough to have one, I don't, or toiling in our place. But when we're in this position, we don't look at those who have less than us or have to do more, less desirable work than us. We only see those in front of us who have what we perceive to be more and an easier and more pleasant life. And that's a problem. But that other man, upright and pure, who has left the Senate and the bar and all affairs of the state that he may retire to nobler affairs, cherishes those who have made it possible for him to do so in security. He is the only person who returns spontaneous thanks to them, the only person who owes them a great debt without their knowledge. Just as a man honors and reveres his teachers, by whose aid he has found release from his early wanderings, so the sage honors these men, also, under whose guardianship he can put his good theories into practice. So then there is the philosopher, the true philosopher in this case, the grateful philosopher, or I suppose anyone, though this letter is about philosophers and kings and not quote-unquote normal people and kings. We, and I do think of myself as a philosopher, though I'm not calling myself perfectly upright or pure, let me just be clear about that, these are Seneca's words, we, under the protection provided by our king or emperor or president or czar or whatever you happen to have, we are able to escape droll work. We can read books all day and ponder the value of living and the secrets of life, and we can work on our own characters and towards learning virtue. This is a rare honor if you look around. The truth is that philosophers kind of fool around all day when compared to what everyone else is doing. I would say, of course, that we're thinking about important things, but in a way, we're even less immediately useful than artist, like a painter or something. At least an artist produces a work that brings beauty to a physical space. We philosophers spend years arguing about the minutiae just so we can declare that a human is a featherless biped with flat nails. No doubt this is a clever thing to figure out, but does it have the same immediate value as art, or as blacksmithing, or soldiering? We get to contemplate the universe and convene with nature, and we get the leisure time to ponder and wonder. And we can do that because the king provides the sort of environment where that's acceptable. So, without a king, presuming the king is a just and compassionate one, and not a cruel tyrant, we're stuck in some job we hate, and we can never focus on the things we love focusing on. Unless we're lucky enough to truly love our jobs, which is rare. In this way, I'm the philosopher, and you, as a listener, are my king, or queen if you prefer. You all show up and provide the means necessary for me to do this for a living. What am I doing, exactly? Certainly I'm helping, but I'm not being a plumber, which you probably need maybe sometimes more than you need me, or an electrician, or a paramedic, or a doctor, or a firefighter, so yeah, I'm helping, but the moment the kings and queens that value what I do disappear, I can't do it anymore. I have to get a quote-unquote, my dad would probably say this, real job. And I'm going to be really honest with you, kings and queens. A real job would probably make me miserable. I had a real job for a long time. I had a lot of jobs. And those jobs usually always made me want to drink. Sometimes alcohol and sometimes just bleach. I'm not of the disposition or the mind to do what some people call real job work. 
I'm not good at it. And if I'm bad at, for example, being an electrician, then me being an electrician probably does more harm than good. You would not want to live in a house that I was responsible for wiring. I'm good at thinking, though. I'm good at writing and creating content about stoicism. And bonus, I love doing it. So it makes way more sense for me to function in the capacity of something I'm competent in, in this case, a teacher of sorts, than it is for me to flounder in a role I have no choice but to take because I don't have kings and queens providing me with the environment necessary for what I do to be valuable to people. So how do I feel about all of you? The way a philosopher should feel about a king. I shouldn't lament that other podcasters make more money than me, or that we should have more listeners, or that my life isn't perfect, despite the fact I have a pretty sweet job. I should instead be saying things like, I get to make a living doing what I love. Who do I owe for that? Oh, all the kings and queens of my audience. All of you. And maybe I would also say, so many people don't have this flexibility. So yeah, my life isn't perfect, but how lucky am I to be in the life I am in instead of a life where I would feel far less fortunate than I feel in this one? Seneca is saying this is how philosophers, or by extension, citizens, should feel about their rulers or leadership. Not, it could be better, but it could be much worse, and it isn't. Not, what can I get, but what do I already have? And not, I've been wronged and am owed, but I've been wronged, but look how few times that has happened. I suppose, in essence, we philosophers should have an attitude of gratitude to those responsible for us being able to practice our craft. For the moment we are no longer valued, we fall into lives we'd rather not be living, performing tasks we'd rather not be performing, but would, at that point, be compelled to. And again, this applies to regular citizens as well, but should never be carried to the extreme that we are ignoring injustices, right? There's a little bit of a risk in what I'm saying in concerns to if you're living under a tyrant versus if you're living under benevolent leadership. This isn't a call from Seneca to allow for abuses simply because, oh well, sure, the king beats us to within an inch of our lives every day, but we do get to eat grapes on Thursdays and Sundays, so it's best to focus on the good. The king has to be a net good king, or queen, or president, or czar, or whatever your flavor, for any of this to apply, of course. So if we have a net good leader, a king or a queen, or boss or co-worker, or parent or partner, we should spend far more time appreciating that individual than we do criticizing and expecting more from them. Notice that I'm not saying we don't expect more or criticize, only that we make sure that that is in the appropriate measure given their net good. So not a call for apathy or settling, but a call to remember what enables us to have the life we have, how much worse our lives could be, how many people have worse lives than we do, and what our responsibilities are to a benefactor, king, queen, or otherwise. That is all I've got for you today. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, if you have not reviewed us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do so now if you have a moment. Kai and I would really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, take care.